On today's episode of Locked Up With History, we are looking at one of the many families that was associated with the Geelong Jail. Three generations of this family would see inside the bluestone walls, with one taking his own life. This is the story of the Hassett family. Stay tuned. Warning. This podcast contains discussions of some potentially distressing topics. Listeners, please be advised. With us for true and tall tales unsurpassed, with stories from Victoria's dark colonial past. Spirits, executions, ghosts, murders, and ghouls. These are the stories they don't teach you at school. All these twisted tales of mystique and mystery coming to you now on Locked Up with History. Hello everyone and welcome back to Locked Up With History, episode 13. My name is Deb Robinson and on today's episode we are going to explore the story of the Hassett family, or one particular line anyway. Now members of at least three generations of this family would be incarcerated in the Geelong Jail over a period of at least 40 years. Now, the story of the Hassett family was thought originally to be a fairly simple one of a son on the wrong side of the law who ended his life while a prisoner in the Geelong Jail in 1901. But little did we know when we started looking in more detail at this line of the Hassetts that the story was so much more complicated and expanded over at least four generations. Now, we're going to start our story back in Ireland with the start of this particular branch of the family tree, just to set the background. And apologies in advance for any of my pronunciations. We know that's not one of my strong suits. The head of this family was Dennis Hassett and Ellen Ryan. Now, we don't have a whole host of information on them, but we do know that they were from Bird Hill in Tipperary in Ireland. Now, Bird Hill is a small, picturesque village midway between Limerick and Nina. Now, Bird Hill derived its name from a mythical encounter between Ocean of the Fianna and a giant bird, which was causing widespread destruction in the area. Now, we know that Dennis and Ellen had a number of children, including Bridget, born in 1795, William, born in 1796, John in 1798, Morris in 1800, Michael in 1802, and Patrick in 1806. But it's the younger son, Patrick, who we are most interested in. Now, Patrick married Bridget Caplice in 1821, and the couple had five children. Dennis in 1822, John in 1824, Bridget in 1828, Morris in 1830, and William in 1832. Now, life for the couple was uh, pretty uneventful until the 7th of November, 1835, when things took, shall we say, a dramatic turn. Patrick and his brother Michael and a couple of other men attacked Michael Carey and his brother James after they'd left a local fair. Now, there appears there was a fairly long-standing bad feud between the two families, but the attack on Michael left him with a skull fractured in 26 pieces. Carey lingered for about a month before he died of his injuries. 
Now, Patrick was tried for manslaughter in Tipperary and on the 17th of March, 1836, was found guilty. He was sentenced to transportation for life to Australia and left aboard the ship the Waterloo on the 21st of May, 1836 and arrived in Sydney on the 6th of September, 1836. Now, Bridget and the children remained behind in Ireland. Uh, Patrick did apply for his wife and children to join him in 1838, but for whatever reason, it never seemed to have eventuated. Now, Patrick's life as a convict in Sydney was fairly short-lived when he was chosen as one of the 30 convicts to travel to Melbourne. Now, more than likely, he was chosen for his skills as a carpenter, as Captain Lonsdale was under orders to establish a settlement at Port Phillip. The convicts, along with surveyors, clerks and the military, were boarded on the Stirlingshire and the Martha, arriving in Port Phillip in October 1836. Now, the convicts included bricklayers, stonemasons, blacksmiths, stonecutters, boatmen and labourers who were all put to work in this infant settlement. They were housed in what became known as the Government Block, which is bounded by the modern-day Burke, Collins, King and Spencer Streets. It's in this area that there would be the first government buildings, including a jail and a court system, together with the police in the infant settlement. Now, Patrick remained in Victoria, and during 1842, he took Catherine Gleeson as his common-law wife. Catherine's history before meeting Patrick is not really known, but we do have suspicions that she may have been of convict origins. She uh, keeps her, her cards quite close to her chest, which makes it difficult to trace her. Their first child, a son named John, was born on the 17th of May 1843 at Goulburn Creek, which was the name given to the waterway that flowed near Elizabeth Street in Melbourne. And it is his story that we'll be following in the very next bit. Now, Patrick was granted his ticket of leave for the Melbourne district on March 8, 1844, having received an indulgence for his actions in fighting a fire in October 1842. Now, Patrick and Catherine went on to have more children after John. We have Ellen, born in 1844 in Melbourne, James, born in 1846 in Melbourne, Anne was born in 1848 in Melbourne, but sadly died in infancy. Morris was born in 1849 in Geelong, Honey in 1851 in Barrable Hills, just outside of Geelong, Julia, born in 1854 in Geelong, and Catherine, born in 1860, inside the Geelong Jail. Now, Patrick was granted a conditional pardon on the 25th of December 1848 and the family moved to Geelong not long afterwards. Patrick and Catherine would become the first generation of Hassets to see inside the jail, being incarcerated in the old South Geelong Jail as well as the newer Geelong Jail that opened in 1853. Now, some of the events that brought them to the notice of the police included altercations with neighbours, assaults, bad language and thefts. In 1851, Patrick was fined £3 for assaulting Mr Bailey at the watch house without any provocation. In 1859, he was before the courts for disturbing the peace because he dragged his son by the hair through Market Square, refusing to stop even when ordered to do so by the police. Catherine was summoned by Mary Ty for assaulting her with a brass candlestick. Evidence was supplied that Catherine had called Mary a number of bad names before she was struck. In 1860, both Patrick and Catherine were before the courts again, this time for using three teenagers to steal food and other items around Geelong for them. This earned Patrick three months of hard labour in prison and the two women were also jailed for three months. There was another woman that was involved as well. Now, Patrick unfortunately would pass away on the 13th of April 1866 in Geelong of Pithesis and was buried in the Eastern Cemetery. Now, Pithesis is a, um, like a miner's complaint. It's something that affects the lungs. 
Catherine would survive her husband until the 22nd of March 1880 when she died in the Geelong Hospital of Old Age and Debility. And she is also buried in the Eastern Cemetery. If you'd like to visit some of the places featured on Locked Up With History, book in a tour with Twisted History. For the full range of tours and to book, visit twistedhistory.net.au. Now, John Hassett, uh, as we stated before, was born at Goulburn Creek in Melbourne in 1843, the eldest son of Patrick and Catherine, and he makes up our next generation of Hassetts. Now, given his parents' history, it's probably no wonder John too ended up before the courts numerous times, including being jailed in the Geelong Jail. In 1860, John came before the courts charged with assaulting his neighbour, Mr Bertell. Now, Bertell was standing at his door when 17-year-old John walked up and punched him square in the face. His mother, Catherine, testified that the neighbour had walked into a party that she was having and doused quite a few of the party-goers with water. Catherine was also charged with using indecent language. The pair was charged five shillings each for their trouble. John was 20 years old when he married Eliza Minns in 1863 in Tarang, and it seemed quite happy for the first few years. The couple would have six children registered, although the father of the last two or three children is completely under question, which you'll see why in just a moment. Now, Catherine was born in 1864, Marianne born in 1866, John born in 1869, we have George in 1871, Thomas in 1875 and Edith in 1877. And I think we can safely say that at least Thomas and Edith were not John's children. Uh, John worked as a blacksmith and due to the lack of work in the Geelong area, travelled all over the state looking for work and money to send back to support his family. The first hint of trouble was when Eliza summoned John for desertion in December 1868. The records showed that all had been well in the marriage until about three months previously. Eliza stated that John had gone to New Zealand and had not been working elsewhere in the state and that she had been without maintenance for six weeks. John was cautioned to live peacefully with his wife. It wasn't to be. In July 1871, John Hassett was brought up on a charge of beating his wife with an iron bar. The case was dismissed on Eliza's insistence, saying that John was drunk and that there were jealousies on both sides. However, a few months later, Eliza would once again summon John for desertion and demanding a divorce. Eliza stated that they had not lived together since the beating four months earlier. There were many reports of Eliza and of alleged improprieties when her husband was away, including living with other men. A previous landlady of Eliza stated that she had thrown her out due to her behaviour with other men. Even her own daughter testified to Eliza's infidelity. John agreed to pay maintenance for three of the four children, refusing to accept that he was the father of the youngest child. John was ordered to pay maintenance of 10 shillings per week, to which he objected to, and he was advised to take it to the general sessions. Now, John was living in Kuroit in January 1875 when he was committed to the Q Lunatic Asylum as an inpatient for delirium tremens and satiris, which is hypersexuality. He'd been brought to the attention of the authorities by the police and it was felt that he would be a danger to if left to himself in the community. He'd been drinking a lot of late and was suffering delusions and thought to be suicidal. He was confined for a four-week period and then released as cured in March 1875. But in July 1875, John was again brought before the courts as a lunatic at large. Police testified that John had been heading to Dennington with the intention of drowning himself. As he was about to jump... 
John decided that he was guilty of a great sin that he had not confessed to his spiritual advisor, and he returned home. Here, he took up a large table knife and a hammer and amputated his penis. Police stated that he believed he had committed great sin by having too much intercourse with women. John was readmitted to the Q Lunatic Asylum for treatment. He absconded from the asylum in October and was recaptured a month later. He was eventually released as cured in June 1876. But it wouldn't be long before John got himself into strife yet again, when on his release he married Bridget Mangan on the 8th of May 1876, while still being married to Eliza. John had fathered two children to Bridget, James born in Waterville in 1872, and Patrick was born in Tower Hill in 1874. Now John was charged with bigamy, although it was noted that Eliza at the time was living with a nightman named Taylor since John had left. The charges were deferred and then eventually they were dropped when Dr Macken of the Geelong Jail certified that he believed John to be of an unsound mind and he was once again committed to the Q Lunatic Asylum. Now John returned to Bridget and was living in Richmond on his release. Uh, in 1884, Bridget reported a robbery of their house where a quantity of jewellery was stolen. And in February 1886, John was reported in the papers as having injured his hand with a chisel at home. John died in Melbourne in 1888 and was buried in the Melbourne General Cemetery in a common grave. For a fascinating look at life in a colonial prison, visit Geelong Jail Museum. Situated just over an hour from Melbourne in the heart of Geelong, it's Victoria's most intact and longest continually operating colonial prison. For information, search for Geelong Jail or call 1300 865 800. Our next generation of Hassett starts with John Robert Hassett, who was the eldest son of John and Eliza. He was born in March 1868 in Pleasant Creek and would have only been about two years old when his parents began living apart. It is probably not surprising that he came to the attention of the authorities at a very young age, given his dysfunctional family. John first appeared before the courts in June 1875 for slinging stones with a Shanghai, breaking windows with a couple of other boys. He was fined 20 shillings, or probably more rightly so. His father was fined 20 shillings. But this appearance in court was not enough to dissuade him, and over the next few years, he was brought up on a variety of charges. In November 1877, John was charged with stealing fruit from the garden of Mr. Reed with another boy. Both boys were cautioned and dismissed. In December 1877, John was back before the courts, this time for breaking into the fruit stall of Joseph Sharp at the Geelong Railway Station with Francis Chevalier. The boys stole four pocket knives and eight packets of lollies. They gave the knives to their friends and John was lucky enough to be cautioned and only detained during the sitting of the court. In March 1878, John was again brought before the courts, this time with Robert and Francis Chevalier, for stealing two pigeons belonging to Mr Dixon. John had suggested taking the pigeons after speaking with Dixon's son, with one bird found at the Chevaliers and the other at the Hassets. John's stepmother Bridget said she could do nothing with John. The mayor lectured the parents and suggested that all of the boys could do with a good thrashing before discharging them. A few days later, John was caught yet again stealing fruit with George Chevalier, but was let off as Mr Robinson didn't want to press charges given their young ages. He obviously didn't realise the boys were very well known to the police court at this point. 
In June 1878, John was locked up for stealing undergarments with John Blackney and George McIver from Mrs O'Grady and Butter's Drapery in Moorable Street. They grabbed a bundle of shirts and took one each before running off. They were caught in Market Square and John was caught at the beach. John and Blackney were both given 14 days imprisonment, each in separate confinement. John was about 10 years old at the time. In December 1878, John was once again back before the courts, this time in the company of Robert Chevalier and Michael Egan, for stealing two pairs of boots from one of the goods carriages at the railway station. Hassett's father had turned the boots into the police. After the matter was remanded, it was discovered that seven pairs of boots had actually been stolen and another boy, Thomas Werner, was also involved. John was sent to jail for 12 hours and then to the reformatory school for six years. Chevalier was sent to jail for 12 hours, then the reformatory school for five years and Werner for 12 hours, then 12 months at the reformatory school. John was released from the reformatory school in December 1883 into his mother's care. After his release, John seemed to settle down. Well, for a few years anyway. But in 1889, John started getting into trouble yet again. He was charged with stealing a horse and cart and when being involved in the shooting of Constable Chisholm in Collingwood. Around this time, he had a relationship with Mary Redmond, out of which his son, Robert John Redmond, was born in 1889 in Carlton. But worse was to come. On the night of the 25th of August, 1889, Constable Vizard was on duty near the intersection of Ligon and Queensbury Street in Carlton. He saw two men having an altercation and the constable asked them to move along. Now, initially they did, but when they began arguing again and the Constable Vizard interfered, the two men set upon Constable. By the time they were finished, he had a fractured skull and his brain was so swollen it necessitated the removal of part of his skull. Francis de Laville was arrested the following day in Kilmore, but John Hassett would not be arrested until December, and it was anything but a clear-cut case. Although Hassett was identified by a couple of the witnesses, there were major doubts as to whether John was the second man in this brutal assault. A number of men from Gippsland, where John had been seeking work, would give him an alibi for the time of the assault. They would also testify that the scar that was being used to identify him as one of the assailants had been present well before the date of the attack. Despite this, both de Laville and John were sentenced to death for the attack on Constable Vizard. The sentence would later be commuted to life imprisonment on the 19th of March 1890, and John would protest his innocence right up until his own death. He was initially incarcerated in Pentridge, and John was moved to Geelong Jail in August 1898, where he was employed as an assistant uh, in the jail infirmary. But on the 7th of December 1901, John had asked one of the other prisoners to say goodbye to his mother for him. He returned to the infirmary, breaking into the cupboard, and drank a poison containing belladonna, arsenic and opium. John then armed himself with a lance and kept waters at bay, threatening to stab them until the poison took effect and he lost consciousness. The doctor tried to administer a strong emetic. They tried pumping his stomach to rid him of the poison, which at first they thought they were successful. But unfortunately, John hasn't died at 6pm that night. You're listening to Locked Up With History. And that now brings us to our final generation, which is John's son, Robert John Redman, who was born on the 28th of August, 1889 in Carlton, the illegitimate son of John Hassett and Mary Jane Redmond. 
Now, like his father and his grandfather before him, Robert would get into some minor scrapes with police as a youngster, but his short life would be marred with tragedy. His mother, Mary Jane, died in January 1897 in Bendigo as Mary Jane Tardiff, aged only 24 years. Mary had married William Tardiff in 1894. And then his father, John, died in 1901, leaving the boy as an orphan. Early in 1903 in Bendigo, Robert was arrested as a housebreaker with another boy, Philip Lawrence, both aged about 13 years old. Both of them were orphans, with Robert being made a ward of the state. The two boys were charged with four counts of breaking into houses and stealing various items. The court was told that the boys were orphans and boarded out with old people had been running wild. Robert and Philip were sent to the reformatory school with a recommendation that they be sent to the Brighton Excelsior home. By May 1903, Robert was living with William Tardiff, his stepfather, in Carlton. He was employed with the Electric Telegraph Company and William had managed to secure Robert a job as a telegraph messenger in late April. He described Robert as being a bright and intelligent boy. As part of his duties as a messenger, Robert was allowed to ride for free on the trams while he was in uniform. On March 19, 1903, Robert was performing his duties as a messenger in Collins Street at around 10.40am. He ran across the road not seeing the tram car coming in the opposite direction, and he was knocked down, receiving horrible injuries. Robert was taken to the Melbourne Hospital, the impact of the tram car having broken his spine. Robert would initially seem to recover despite the deformity of his spine, but in mid-July he took a turn for the worse, with doctors seeing an increased deformity in his injury and he began to show signs of meningitis. Robert would die of his injuries on September 9th, 1903, aged only 14 years. Interested in learning more about this episode? Join the Locked Up With History Facebook group for more facts and discussions about the dark colonial past of Victoria and beyond. Now, this story has been a very brief overview of just one branch of the Hassett family, and I would like to acknowledge the assistance of some of the current descendants of the Hassett family, especially Gay, who has started a Facebook group for the descendants to share information with each other and with me. If you would like to contact Gay and the other Hassett descendants, if you happen to be a relative or something, you can find the group on Facebook by searching for the Hassett family, Bird Hill and Newport, Tipperary Island. Or if you have any dramas, please send me a message and I will happily share the link with you. They are so much more knowledgeable on their family story than I, but I would like to thank them for allowing me to share just a small part of their history. Now, before we wrap up on the story of the Hassets, please don't forget to check out our webpage at lockedupwithhistory.com.au where all of the previous episodes are, along with some of the photos for the episodes where we have them. And of course, you can listen to all of the episodes on your favourite streaming platform. If you have any questions or would like to discuss any of the episodes, join us over on Facebook and the Locked Up With History group. This is where you can ask me any questions of the current episodes and also where you can view the media associated with the episodes as well. If you have any suggestions on a story you might like to hear a podcast on, please feel free to send us a message in the group or to one of our emails and we will certainly consider it. We're just in the process at the moment of working out what we're going to do in 2022. But our next episode, we will be looking at George Melville and the MacIver Gold Escort robbery. Now, Melville's execution and subsequent display of his body led to a change in the law on what happened to an executed prisoner after his death. Until then, see you on the darker side of history.
For more information on the story from today's episode, check out the show notes or join the Locked Up With History Facebook group. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.